0: Each of, these, each of these visions now of, uh, of these uh, first eight chapters uh, is going to show coming judgment. There's the red horse. Yet the white horse represents what?
1: Peace or victory.
0: Victory. victory. Of course, peace. Um, and so Israel is in the place of humiliation, but they will be brought to the place of victory. And so he uses that to, to demonstrate. Now, it wasn't long after that vision... That, that we've seen here in chapter 1, uh, only four years I think it was, when things began to be rebuilt. I mean, you could start seeing the temple was built. And then in 80 years, the walls were going to be completely built and the prophecy would totally come to pass. So within a century, this will have happened right up in what you could call the near future. And that's what prophecy does so much. God shows that prophecy is true and He fulfills it in a sense in a very short time, but there is one way out there, much bigger and uh, longer out, but He's showing them that they are comforted by Him in that. So uh, He will reestablish Israel in the land. That will happen, and of course it's even ready to, to happen here now as we look at Zechariah at his time there. So there's a far future Fulfillment. There's a coming a day when Lord Jesus Christ, who's here so often called the angel of the Lord, uh, will come back. And there will be that kingdom. Now, right now we live in the times of the Gentiles. And you, you hear that quite often. And of course, Jesus spoke about the times of the Gentiles. And of course, you'll see it in Daniel. You'll see it throughout Scripture quite uh, frequently. Um, the times of the Gentiles... Actually, is happening right at this time of Zechariah, Um, and and so it's it's good to know that okay from here on out, Israel is going to kind of be underneath other people, uh, and they already have been through you know Babylon and such. Of course, at one time they were underneath Egypt, and um, they never really had a whole lot of time where they had peace. You had the time of Solomon. David was a warrior and conquered a lot of the enemies. Solomon had a time of peace. And of course, that represents the time of the kingdom that is to come. That will be you know, eternal, I guess you could say. There will, he will sit on the throne of David on Mount Zion, as the psalm says so much. So if you look, and, and last week actually, we, we were right around verse 15, chapter 1. And we'll just finish that up, and we'll go into the second vision and see how that ties in with this first one. In remember, in this vision, he's saying that hey, listen, uh, right now there hasn't been any compassion for Jerusalem and and all over. Of course, it's been the seventy years of captivity, and he says, hey, I've got I've got good news for you, huh? and I'm jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Then he says in verse 15, and now he starts telling them what he's going to do with the nations. I'm very angry with the nations who are at ease, for while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. So that's a key verse. That's a key verse for the rest of the visions. Because who is the one who sent the enemy like Babylon, for instance, to conquer Israel. You know, God did that, right? So he's mad at them now for doing it. Well, 15 says, I'm very angry with the nations. I mean, angry is bad enough, but he's very angry. Who are at ease? And even right now, the people who are at ease is the next empire, which is who? The Medes, the Persians. They're at ease because they're, there's kind of a peace going now. But yet, they still abused uh, Israel. They didn't uh, do what Babylon did, but they just kind of ignored them. You know, they they didn't really do much of anything with them and and uh, or for them. But he says, for a while, I was only a little angry. They furthered the disaster. The way that they treated his people was beyond human understanding, and you know how people can be well the Babylonians were fierce and how they treated Israel was terrible remember they they are the apple of God's eye which we will run into in um, chapter 2 uh, verse 8 Uh, So verse 16 says, Therefore says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it. What a promise, declares the Lord of hosts. And a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again proclaiming, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Well, there is a sense definitely in the very near future that did come about. But there's something that is much more than that. But we get a good summary there of 15 of what God is going to do. He's very displeased. He's going to do something about it. Israel has suffered at the hands of uh, many nations. And Zechariah says that um, yeah, there has been suffering. There's been a continual suffering. And uh, this is the subject which, he, which He's addressing as He brings forth the comfort right in the time of trial. All sorts of tribulations, suffering, the hands of nations have come against them, And so he, God grants some of these visions of comfort. On their behalf, He's going to do this. Now as we come to this second vision, we're going to find basically the same thing dealt with, only the scope is tremendous how this spreads out now. Um, as he takes that same thought, okay, I'm going to judge the nations, I'm going to bless you. That's that's the two things we're going to see in all these visions. I'm going to come in judgment, I'm going to deal with those nations, I'm going to bless you. Uh, the people are saying, how long is this going to go on? It just seems like it never ends. And the answer comes in the second vision. It's going to take you all the way to the coming of the Jesus Christ and His second coming. That's how long it's really going to be, ultimately. Um, they didn't really know that. Look at Luke 21-24. Jesus spoke about this, in a sense. 21:24. 21-24. They will fall by the edge of the sword. This is a a destruction of Jerusalem. And will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This was a a future event that wasn't going to be too far from there. Uh, Forty years from then. 70 A.D. Destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. Okay. And they'll be led into all nations and of course they're trampled underfoot by Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. The times that we live in right now are called what? The times of the Gentiles. Go all the way back to five hundred BC, still the times of the Gentiles. Six hundred BC, captivity started. So times of the Gentiles. Jesus speaks about that. It's going to keep on coming until he comes back. So that, that to the Jews speaks volumes. Times of the Gentiles. Yeah, go ahead.
1: And I know it's a very basic question, but just to make certain in my mind, Gentiles, is everything except the Jews, every nation right. at all, even now, I guess it would be considered every nation except yep. the Jews. Okay.
0: That makes it very clear. Yep. But yep. I'm
1: thinking of, the, of Islam and Muslims and they would be related, but they're not, Still mean,
0: be Gentiles. Right. Yep. Absolutely so and, and of course, they're treading foot, you, know, you know, to get trodden down, trampled down, aren't they? and of course, you you know that sure has happened. you can't ignore that. I mean it's a, this is a tremendous analysis of, of history, this uh, second vision and third vision, matter of fact, they all are. It's a panorama of history. Some of it's already been, much of it has been fulfilled. And you can say historically, wow, that's amazing. But there's still much of it to be uh, fulfilled too in, in the future. But uh, Zechariah is saying, hey, it's not always going to be this way. And the enemies are going to be dealt with, but it's going to be, of course, in God's timing. So it's very straightforward. It brings it forth. So, you guys ready for the second vision? Okay, just a few verses here. Just the, This ends chapter 1. starts in verse 18. Then I lifted up my eyes. By the way, in the first vision, in verse 7, um, basically that's what he does there. He, he I saw at night, and behold a man was light. And that's why these are called visions. So the second one starts, then I lifted up my eyes and looked. And then I look in chapter 2, verse 1. Here's another vision. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked. This is definitely a, a vision, and some people say there's a difference between a vision and a dream a, a dream would be something that you'd be sleeping through and like uh, there was a dream that uh what Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel was able to interpret it and of course uh somehow he is seeing this though is that God is relating this the message to him by by this way, so he's seeing all of these things it's very vivid lifted up my eyes. Look, behold, there were four horns. So that's what we're going to call this second vision, the four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? Now this angel is the one that, who speaks with him. And I take it not to be the angel of the Lord that we think of being the Messiah. Here, this is an angel that he keeps... he's there and of course he, he, he asks him a question. You know, okay, hey, what are these? And He answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. Okay, we have the four horns. We could call them four horns and the four craftsmen, or the four hammerers. I said, What are these coming to do? Well, wouldn't you ask those same questions, what's, what is this, what's this all about? And He said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. So the four horns. Yeah, go ahead. What's going on? What what kind
1: kind of horn? I mean, the kind you blow in or the
0: kind that's... Well, let's take that first of all. They're definitely, and this word in the Hebrew is Karin, and it's dealing with, with horns. And, of course, there were the, the trumpet blasts that would be used from the ram's horn. You think of that. And that word can be used for that. You take it in context with what I have it here, the way that we are looking at, and through many other passages, and we'll look at those, it's, this is dealing with, you'll see that means power. The horns of a ram. Okay, the horns of any kind of an animal that has or even antlers, you know, it's a, it, it, you know it's like power. Let, let's check it out. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 48:25. No, it definitely asks questions on these. I don't know if I'll give you an answer or not, but we'll uh we'll certainly try. But uh especially in their culture, they so often would use the, the, the horn. Even, you think of the power of God, sometimes you'll see that uh, mention, you know, the, the horn. Well, I think of the horns on the mercy
1: seat. Is it the mercy seat that yeah, have? uh-huh. And I didn't know if it was anything like that. Or, or what? No,
0: apparently not. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, of course, what you think of that, I think it does have still something mm-hmm. to do with might, power, and you know, of course all of that's representing Christ himself yeah um, is it verse 25 yeah the horn of moab has been cut off and his arm broken declares the lord well that that's speaking of when you take something away from let's say like in this case an animal you take the horns away they don't quite look as vicious. They can't do as much damage. And then it says, the arm is broken, right? So all the power of Moab, which was an enemy of Israel, right? There is a, a prophecy in Jeremiah that God gives to him what's going to happen to Moab because they they're always a thorn in the side of Israel. They, were, they lived right next to Israel. And so the power was going to be broken. That's a promise from God you know he's been like verse 20 Moab has been put to shame for it has been shattered so then he comes down here the the horn that it has looking so powerful it's it's cut off uh go to lamentations next book over there chapter 2 verse 3 now you know what
1: well, yeah, because I was going to say something about his arm was broken. Uh huh. And a lot of times in, in scripture, will talk about God's right. mighty right arm.
0: Right arm of the Lord. Yeah, the exactly. Right. Lord.
1: right. And that's, that looks like that's what they're saying here.
0: Yep. Um, oh, boy. You know, I've got New American Standard here
1: Lamentations 2 3. Yeah. He has cut off in fierce anger every corner of Israel.
0: Ah, okay. There we go. What version do you have there, Debbie? What is that? I don't
1: know. <laughs> you,
0: just, you just popped it up on there. I'm glad you had that because... Yeah, yeah, okay. And that is probably a... That's a very good translation. Mine says, in fierce anger he has cut off all the strength of Israel.
1: King James
0: So there's horn. I've got strength. You've got might. So now, without speculating... We've got it right there. The translators have got it right, whether it be strength, power, uh, the horn. right? So that that helps us there, I think, quite a bit. There you know, they're, they're it's dealing with Israel, isn't it? And so that was definitely what uh, uh, Jeremiah was lamenting about. Let's go to Psalms. Psalm 75, verse 10. All the horns of the wicked he will cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. So there would be a humbling by taking away the strength of the power, the might of the wicked people, but the righteous will get strength strength from the Lord. Um, how about Psalm eighteen two? Just to kind of get an idea of horns, right? Audrey, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> oh, everybody knows this one. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's a power verse there. Rock, fortress, uh, rock again, refuge, shield, horn of my salvation, my stronghold, right? So there again, speaking of might, power, strength horns how about Z- Daniel 7 Daniel will get into that uh, quite a lot <laughs> as a matter of fact Daniel 7 matter of fact we might even touch a little bit on this tonight since it's kind of dealing with this whole idea 721 I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days. And anyway, that would be um, I think what you have here is Alexander the Great. Um, no, maybe it's uh, maybe it's speaking of the oh the fourth beast. I'm sorry, which would be the Romans who conquered the Greeks, and we'll get into that a little bit. So anyway, there is uh, again the horn. Right, or so I'm trying to figure
1: out what he's
0: seeing. It's a vision, so what does it look like? But that's all right. yeah, you, let's look it up on YouTube and <laughs> see if we can find that. <laughs> I know it's like, man, what, what, what were you seeing, Zechariah? Would you love to have some kind of a picture here of this? What did this look like? But it's the best way he can describe it. But people would have known back then, and they used you know the the horns, so we know it's definitely a of that. But I think he's literally seeing this, which are symbols. you know. And of course, in Daniel, he actually sees these animals. And, right, and,
1: and that's why he has uh, to right. ask the angel, what is that? Yeah, right. What right, like what is it? The
0: hordes. Oh. Oh, well. Yeah, Penny, let's go back there just for a moment. Let's back to our Zechariah passage. And as he sees this, he looks and, and he says, "Behold, He's, you know, wow, you know, four horns." So I said, "Hey, what are these?" Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. Well, so even he doesn't really get it until you know it's kind of explained here. Uh, these are horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Je- why why these horns? Well, it definitely speaks of power, or strength. Well, they of course they scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. What do you think these horns are? They're representing power, but it's also representing nations—nations nations with power—and we've already seen that in, well, I think, and in our he verses here.
1: About these? No, these be, bears
0: well, you're right. When you get into Daniel, and we'll probably see that here pretty shortly. Yeah, they definitely the horns are going to be involved in it. Um, well, let's go to uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 3 for a moment and see how they represent Daniel 8.3. Okay, we were in Daniel 7.21, right? I kept looking. That horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Um, this is in, in the future, even to us. Okay, then look in verse 24... Seven. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Okay, what do we have here? Are now ten horns, and out of the t- you know this it's it's like a it's a kingdom, right? There are ten kingdoms or ten kings or horns. The horns represent kings with might and power. It represents nations, but also the leaders or the kings of those nations. So Gentiles kings are associated with their kingdom. So when he lifts up his eyes, what does he see? He sees four powers, four symbols of power. Zechariah looks up, sees in a vision four Gentile kings is what he's seeing here with Gentile kingdoms. So you know he's saying, "What are these? You know what's the deal, angel? And these are the horns that <laughs> scatter Judah exactly. Wow. These are political powers. they are national Gentile entities here who have scattered Judah, um what does they say Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. I think that's pretty clear. Judah, of course, that's you think of that uh, one of the major tribes in Judah, where Jerusalem was at. Jerusalem, what do you think of? Well, you think of representing all of Israel, and then he does say Israel. Of course, you think of the ten tribes and then the the two tribes, but he's just speaking of Israel. It's like three names there, you know, uh, you know, a first name, a middle name, and a last name. And there's no doubt who he's speaking about here. He's not speaking of some other country. He's not even speaking of the the churches we know it today. Here, he is saying that this land, this these people, they uh, they're scattered by these Gentile uh, kings. So they're scattered out. They're you know the horns scatter the Israel right scatter there. It's kind of interesting because in the in the Hebrew, it's a perfect tense, and perfect means this. Past, present, and it can mean future, so it's in a uh, uh, that kind of tense there's one great kingdom that has scattered them. What kingdom was it? Babylon Of course, they you know they were taken you know killed, they were taken to Babylon. Um, there's one great kingdom that is scattering them that being the Medes and the Persians, they're not in their homeland for the most part. So we're having a past tense of scattered, a present tense, and there are two yet to come. How many, how many horns are there? Four. How many kings or kingdoms there that are going to do that? Uh, that are summed up in, in these four horns. So um, who are the horns? Well, there's two options. You could just say, well, they're definitely enemies of Israel, and it's just general. It just means they come from the four winds, you know, north, south, east, and west, and that's okay. I have nothing against that. You can take a general idea that there have been people against Israel historically. You you don't have there's nothing to argue about. I mean, anybody who wants to deny this is is denying the fact of of history. What has happened to the people of Israel? There or it's much more specific in that there are four world empires, four great world empires that make up the times of the Gentiles. Um, that's what I see as most probable. I think it's very probable because uh, Daniel speaks of it and Zechariah speaks of it. They lived close to about the same time, you know, they can relate to each other. In the Targum, one of the great Jewish commentaries. Um, it is uh, this is uh, brought forth, and it means four. They said it means four definite kingdoms. Uh, one would be Babylon, the other would be Medes and Persians, the other would be Greeks. The the targum, and the Jew. The, this is not a Christian commentary, but it was on the Hebrew scriptures and uh, written by Jews. But they themselves too. They didn't know what the fourth empire was. And of course that we look at it and and we could say the next empire that beat the Greeks was the Romans. Um, But anyway, they were close, weren't they? Four definite ones. There are four great kingdoms. Look in uh, Daniel 7.16. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. Hey, what does this mean? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. There will be you know, those four great world empires, but eventually... It'll come out that the saints of the highest one will get the kingdom of all kingdoms. And uh, of course, then he wants to know what about that fourth beast, right? Um, so, anyway, I, I think what we've got here, by the help of Daniel and through history and through uh, even the Jews, that uh, these are the horns are great strength empires. Historically, we get a chance to look back at it, and uh, it's, it's interesting. By the way, uh, the Romans—we know there was a Roman Empire that actually showed two uh, two legs, right? And that two legs represents it was kind of split. It was made of iron, uh, you know, iron and clay. You know, you know, the kingdom is going to be divided. Babylonians did their thing, then they were conquered. You know, the Medes did their thing, and then they were conquered. Greeks do their thing, and then they're conquered, and there are the Romans. They just kind of fizzle out. <laughs> you know, nobody really beat them. Uh, he had tribes that came from the north, you know, they were little weak ones here and there, but, and, but really the Romans, uh, they just uh, wasted away and. Uh, of course the morality you know you think of today what america is like it it could just waste away like the romans did the such a great empire wasn't it but it just kind of broke and fell in in and the roman empire really wasn't a big force down through you can think the middle ages of course there was a roman catholic church and you could still say it was a roman empire but it really wasn't a power; it wasn't the, the force that it had been. And but we know that it says here that all of a sudden there will have there will be strength in it, as Daniel speaks about it. So you know you have a division; the kingdom is divided, and then there is um, a restoration to it. The iron mixed with clay, miry clay, partly strong, partly brittle. Uh, It was brittle at points. Um, Go back to Daniel now. Go to Daniel 2. Here's the dream. Here are the visions. It comes out. It's told. It happens. Um, The king has a dream. Daniel interprets it. Verse 32 or 31. You, old king, were looking. Behold, there was a single great statue. Okay, so it's it's a... uh, dream of a statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. What was it, like 90 feet high or something like that? The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking, so there you have four parts to that one statue. This is really the times of the Gentiles. You continue to look until a stone was cut out with hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. What's that? It's Christ coming and doing away with all of man's kingdoms and where he brings forth his kingdom. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time. came like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain, filled the whole earth. It's Christ, Christ and His kingdom. So right there in a few short verses, He tells what's going to happen from there at the time of Daniel, say 500 plus B.C., all the way to when Christ comes back. So the, the Gentiles are going to rule and then eventually Christ will rule. Um, he interprets it. Um, this is the dream. Verse 36. Now we'll tell it's interpretation for the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the king. You are the king. He could be called a horn, couldn't he? And he is what? Gold. And you can think of the glory of the Babylonian Empire. It was awesome for the time that it existed. Um, You get the second one, which is... What was the second part, precious metal in that statue? Silver. Not quite as good as the gold, but still impressive. After you there will rise another kingdom inferior to you than another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth." And that was the Greeks. And then in verse 40, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes Partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And that brittle part would be the time that it existed, you know, even up until now. And in the saw so the iron mixed with common clay they will combine with another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery. Then comes God's kingdom. So that's what Daniel sees and talks about the golden image and all the, the metals there. But um, you think of um, the panorama of, of world history. There's your four horns. And so we go back to Zechariah, and you say, what about those other four things? Remember the the four, what I call hammerers?
1: Craftsmen.
0: Craftsmen. The Lord showed me four craftsmen. I said, what are these things coming to do? And He said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head but these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter. Okay, you have Babylon. You have a craftsman come along or a hammer that hammers them down. And guess who that is? That's the Medes. Easy. The next one is going to hammer down the Medes. That's the Greeks. And then who's going to hammer down the Greeks, well, the Romans are, and finally there is the hammerer of all hammers, that's the Lord, who will bring in His kingdom. Anyway, that's a, that's a kind of a panorama that Zechariah puts forth as he speaks about the nations. Does it give us a lot about the four horns? I and mean, that'll keep coming through. But of course, Daniel gives so much, and we read about the that all those kingdoms will be broken in pieces by the stone. and In Daniel 7, the first uh, eight verses, you have the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the dreadful beast. Go back to Daniel 7. We'll just read eight verses here. It, and Daniel and Zechariah are saying basically the same thing. Daniel gives a little, uh, quite a bit more information. He has a vision of the four beast. Zechariah said four beasts horns. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision in his mind. As he lay on his bed, then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and they had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. So you have the first one. Daniel has already spoken of the statue. What's the first? What's the head of the statue? That's Babylon. Here we go again. Now it's being compared to a lion. So you're speaking of gold. You're thinking of lion. Who's the king of the jungle? He's at the top, right? You know, the wings of an eagle. And we're, we're talking about uh, what um, vicious power coming from a lion and swift that uh, Babylon would be, uh, winged. Um, you think of eagles, right? Daniel, yeah, Daniel 7. And we're just looking at the, the four horns, or here in this case, the four beasts. And so they're described in in a lot more graphic ways. Daniel's seeing this, and I'm saying, I imagine he's saying, "What is this?" And so it, it's being described to him. So we look in verse five, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. Well, a lion and a bear is pretty ferocious too. And it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in, in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. So here you would have uh, a bear. This is Medo-Persia. With the greater side being Persia and the ribs would be referring to the nations that they conquered. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: let's see... Uh, The they there would be. I'm thinking.
1: It's
0: like an angel or whoever is describing this. yeah I was looking back further there to see if we could get a direct answer there, but this yeah it would be the people or or whoever is helping Daniel you know and showing okay. what what this would mean okay. so um you have a lion, you have a bear being told to go out and you know conquer conquer Israel, conquer the nations after this, I kept looking behold and actually there wasn't much of. Israel to be conquered. They'd already been conquered. The Babylonians. After this, I kept looking, behold another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion given to it. Um, So there is the third one. That would be, what, the Greeks, right? Uh, A leopard here. Um, I guess in the Greek Empire you had the Ptolemies There were like four generals or like four heads there you know when Alexander died then it was kind of divided up and that you had uh old Syria, for instance and there was Egypt there was Macedonia and uh Asia Asia Minor so that it was divided up after Alexander the Great and of course that lasted all the way up to the time of um about the 2nd century B.C., somewhere in that vicinity, that um, they they ruled as far as the Greeks are concerned. So the lion devours, the bear crushes, the leopard is swift and fierce, and then you have a fourth beast who stamps them out. you know, crumbles and humiliation all all the way to uh, whether it be Israel and the nations.
1: So that's Rome.
0: And that would be Rome, yeah. So there is the idea of what Zechariah was talking about and and, um, what would be going on in the world. That's really the times of the Gentiles. So now, let's slide into chapter 2 a little bit. I know I'll have a minute or two here, but this will kind of help with what's going on. It gives a little bit more to it. Um, I lifted up my eyes. Look, behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So now this time it's a vision of a measuring line. And he's already mentioned this in, in chapter 1. Now he's going to expound here. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. So there, you have a couple of angels going on there said to him, Ron, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho, there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heaven, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion, Escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, After glory he has sent me against the nations, which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. There it is. He said, you don't mess with Israel. That's my eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming. I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem be silent all flesh before the lord for he is aroused from his holy habitation so here's his favor and his grace to jerusalem to zion and what a future it is cuz he says go out and measure jerusalem we're setting this up now there was going to be jerusalem in, it, in its glory days again you know by the time jesus came there it was quite a temple there and herod's temple and you know, in one sense, he's speaking of that, but he's really going much further. He's going to the New Jerusalem, and that's really where all this is pointing to. And so, there is hope, isn't there, uh, for all the promises there? So you have a a design here, uh, the the measuring line of it. This is how it's going to be. Um, he's measuring Jerusalem and all the dimensions of the future Jerusalem. Uh, he has a destined plan. You can imagine the, how vast that would be. It's a city without walls. Now, granted, Jerusalem at that time of the people it had a city without walls there. Well, it wasn't even a city yet. But it had no walls and they had to build it. But didn't they had to build it because... Why?
1: Didn't have many people either.
0: Right. And and there was a lot of people coming in there you know, and trying to keep them from building walls. But there is going to be the kingdom that is to come. No walls will be needed. No enemies will come and approach them. There will be a, uh, it's, it's like a, a protector that you see in in verse 5 there, 2-5. You have to like that. Um, For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her. And I'll be the glory in our midst. You remember uh, back in Exodus, cloud by day, fire by night. He protected the people, gave them the light that they needed if they traveled. Um, he gave them they weren't burnt by the sun. Uh, they weren't crispy critters, you know, out there wandering in the desert. He gave them a cloud to be under, protected them. This is the protector right here, and. Uh, then in six and seven, it's about a delivered people flee from the land. Uh, okay, you've been scattered. Uh, they're going to come back together, though. You know, they're going to escape. And Of course, Babylon can definitely resemble what the world is all about. Um, but they are delivered people, and we see in eight and nine about the the uh, as far as the powers are concerned. They're nothing. He says, The nations which plunder you, his glory is going to come and of course take care of them. He's already been saying that. And i wave my hand over them and plunder for their slaves. The Lord hostess and then the the Messiah in ten through thirteen. He is right with them. Joy. The daughter of Zion, I'm coming. I'll dwell in your midst. He's going to be right there amongst them at this particular time in this presence of the Messiah in this millennial kingdom. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day. So the nations will be a part of this kingdom. And they'll come from all over and everywhere. Are we
1: going to be like, you know neighbors, to Jews? And, or are they going to be separate from us? Or?
0: Well, for and one thing... It sounds
1: thing, like we're all going to be there together.
0: Yeah, and of course we're going to be existing in glorified bodies all
1: right. at that time. Alright. Yeah. How does
0: an Well, all this would be just the panorama of just how God is going to have victory uh, and how He's going to conquer sin. That's basically, um, and, and, and wrapping it up real quick. I'm not very fair with that, but that's they really wouldn't see this as Jerusalem as being the Jerusalem that we think of, or Israel as being Israel, or Judah as being Judah. They would say that's the church, and in a sense, you know, the church is God's people. But right here, there are a lot of believers and unbelievers of Israel, but that are going to become believers that make up Israel. You know, there's a true Israel. A true Israel are people that are Israelites that are true indeed by the blood, but they also believe in Jesus Christ, just like we do. They're saved the same way. They just happen to be a people that God favors. Does He Does he not favor the Gentiles too? Yes, He does. But He has a plan in Israel playing the part and fulfilling that promise that He had. And of course, that's where Romans 9, 10, and 11 definitely comes into play in this whole section. What he's saying, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for the nations. They're going to rule right now from here on out. And I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them to punish you. I'm going to use them to punish each other. And it's what he did all throughout history up to the time of Zechariah. And then he says, here's what's going to happen. He laid it out. We've seen these empires. There's one that's going to be revived because it has ten toes. And, of course, a lot of people say that would be a revival of the Roman Empire and because they're the ten kingdoms that we read about earlier. Ten kingdoms in a future sense that are part of one, but yet they're individual. That, a united Europe is what some people have talked about. And there has been 10 nations and now you start hearing about that kind of breaking up. Yes. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, you, sometimes it's been 12. It's been 8. It's been 9, 10, 11, 7. But, it's, but there's a united Europe that people have always wanted. And, and they are united. They can cross borders. And, and without. It's just like our states. We have a United States. They wanted a United States of Europe. Which makes it a lot easier for a lot of reasons, money-wise, and um, you know the, the, you know, just convenience f- for nothing else. But there's many other things. So, you know, we that hasn't arrived yet. We don't know if that's what that means, but it certainly is plausible, it isn't it?
1: Huh? It's a lot closer than it used oh, to be. Oh yeah, so yeah. Painful. I mean, yeah, but how, how can they replace it? Oh.
0: They want to see that if what they do is replace it, put the church in it, which is made up of Jews. Yeah. See, I, I don't disagree with the fact that, yes, we are saved only one way it's through the person of Christ by grace of God. But what they do is they more or less. Not all of them, but most of them will push away. The church has taken the place of Israel. Or the church has always been here, and really, it doesn't matter about the nations or Israel. They say there's not even going to be nations in heaven. We're all one. You know, there'll be neither Jew nor Gentile. That passage is dealing with there's still Jews, there's still Gentiles in the church. Ethnicity. God has always had ethnicity. That's what he wants and we see in the millennial kingdom or kingdom or in heaven that there will be the healing of the nations. Nations is involved in uh, uh, Egypt and Assyria. So, bar my answer is is that they basically say all the promises and everything here that are for Israel it's not the way we're interpreting it here in Zechariah. He's not giving them any future hope other than that you trust in in, in the Messiah. Now, they would say that. But as far as the nation is concerned, God is done with that. But Paul highly differed with that. By the time you get to Romans 9, 10, and 11, one cannot deny that fact that he has that plan that he's still going to put them in a position that he has always promised. And yet, we get... Our promises being, you know, that. And those people are going to be believers. Uh, Israel today, for the most part, are still denying Christ. Um, But yet, God has a special place because there are going to be chosen ones out of that. His calling, His promises are irrevocable. And so, to me, it's the best. You know how reformed people, most reformed people are all millennial. They love to preach grace and, of course, an election. And see, the thing is, he elected Israel out of all the <laughs> nations to be in a prominent position. And so when we see, whenever Judah is mentioned, Israel is mentioned, Jerusalem is mentioned, is that speaking of the church? Why did he say it three times there in those ways? And, you know, you, you think of uh, the, a bringing together of the two sticks, like in Ezekiel which is Judah and Benjamin, and then Israel, the ten tribes, bringing them back together as one again. So they're not lost. All the tribes are still out there. But it it has to be then taken in a a spiritual way. And we're doing a lot of that too, in, in all fairness. We're having to take these... These are visions, and they are representing things, But and I know sometimes you know, it's like, well, this means this and this means that, but I would like to say that, well, we're looking at other scriptures that are saying the same thing, only giving some more description, like Daniel gives heavy description. And, but Zechariah is it's lengthy for a minor prophet, and basically from nine on is eschatological. And you can't help but look at it as being future and that's why we have to look at it. i i mean you know yeah
1: so people who disagree with that they probably don't read this much they read everything
0: else <laughs> Get over it. Yeah. yeah well a lot of when, like in zechariah there are certain places and i'll say well, what is this this is, you know the return of christ and such and they'll agree with it and all of a sudden it's saying, yeah but the the stuff after that that was back in the past right. How did you shift from where the the future time where Christ is ruling on earth and then taking it back? But all of this, what we've been dealing with tonight, is a panorama that takes us all the way from the time of Zechariah and Daniel all the way on up to the Millennial Kingdom. And God has given information about that in great detail. And so I get really... Uh, excited about knowing that God would reveal to us truths that are going to be playing a, a major role What's in our lives in the me future.
1: What's is that he's is telling these people all this stuff, and nothing like this is going to happen for another at least a thousand years. Yeah. And, yeah. and shortly after he's done talking to him, God puts talking to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Pretty exciting. Hey, thank you guys for coming out and really uh, constantly uh, being very faithful. It's uh, great to have you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it would have been just despair and desperation. I can't even imagine. I mean, there had to have been believers at that time. Oh, there had to be, right? But they saw nothing, and they heard nothing, and, and there was nothing. There were no prophets, there was nothing.